The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world this week from Springfield in Arizona. We're five minutes after this show ends. I'm speaking to a capacity crowd of small to medium business owners, which is pretty cool. I love it because it is small businesses and entrepreneurs and startups that build this country and provide a better future for everyone. And if I can play a little part of that, I'm really pleased. I'm calling this next segment, Shit, What the Hell Happened? You know, we often talk about the rapid rate of change that's taking place in business. A mate of mine, Jeff Hazlett, was um, with Kodak. And just 17 years ago, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all photo paper worldwide. Within just a few years, their business model disappeared and are bankrupt. (laughs) This is going to happen to a lot of industries in the next 10 years. And most people in those industries don't even see it coming. It's going to happen with artificial intelligence, with health, with autonomous and electric cars, with education, with 3D printing, with agriculture, with jobs. You know, software is going to disrupt 90% of traditional industries within the next five, eight, ten years. It's amazing to think that Uber is simply a software tool. They don't own a car, and yet they're the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb is now the biggest hotel chain in the world. They don't own any property. This is the um, what's going to happen in the future. This year, a computer beat the best Go player in the world 10 years earlier than expected. And, you know, it goes big. In 2015, the International Go Federation had a total of 75 member countries and an estimated 100 million players, and a computer beat them. In the US, young lawyers can't get jobs, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but because of IBM Watson, you can get legal advice within seconds with 90% accuracy compared with only 70% accuracy with done by humans. And at the fees that bloody lawyers charge, you know, you want 100% accuracy or 90 at least. Watson already helps nurses diagnose cancer four times more accurately than human nurses. 
Facebook has a pattern recognition software that can recognize faces better than humans can. And by 2030, computers will become more intelligent than humans. Considering the um, election result we just had, that's probably not surprising. In 2018, the first self-driving cars will appear. By 2020, most of us probably won't own cars anymore. You'll call a car with your phone, it'll show up, it'll drive you to wherever you want to go and do it pretty cheaply. If you've got young kids, they're never ever going to have a driver's license and they'll probably never ever own a car. Cities will need 90 to 95% less cars. Parking space can become parks, which would be lovely. And we currently have a car accident every 60,000 miles. Well, autonomous driving will drop that to one accident in every six million miles. And it will save over a million lives every year. And many of the car companies could become bankrupt. Now, just think, no accidents. Insurance is going to become really cheap. And the car insurance model will probably disappear. Real estate will change because people will work further away because they'll be able to work while they commute, so they'll be able to live in better neighbourhoods. And also, real estate will be controlled by blockchain, which will make things totally different and much more efficient. Cities will be less noisy because cars will be electric. Electricity will be cheap and clean and last year more solar energy was installed worldwide than new fossil installations although in America here apparently we're going back to fossil fuel unbelievable and the price for solar is going to drop so much that coal companies should be out of business by 2025 if the government wasn't supporting them now, with cheap electricity comes cheap and abundant water, and desalinisation now only needs two kilowatt hours of water uh, electricity per cubic metre. So just imagine what the world's going to be like if everyone can have as much clean water as they need for practically no cost. And one of the major beneficiaries is going to be health. There's uh, companies that are building a medical advice called the Tricorder that works with your phone, that takes your retina scan, your blood sample, and you breathe into it. It then analyzes 54 biomarkers that will identify nearly every single disease. It'll be cheap, so in a few years, everyone on this planet will have access to one and access to world-class medicine pretty much for free. As we all know, 3D printing is unbelievable. I watched a 3D, 3D printing yesterday of a building and it is quite extraordinary in the detail that they can put into these buildings is just fabulous. Now, the cheapest 3D printer came down from $18,000 to just $400 in 10 years and it's printing 100 times faster than it was 10 years ago. As you may know, most of the shoe companies now 3D print their shoes, so no more cheap labour 
in any of the Asian countries. It's free. <laughs> Printers. So we complained about um, the people in the Asian countries just making a couple of bucks an hour. Well, that's gone out the window. The um, spare aeroplane parts are already 3D printed. The space station has a printer that eliminates the need for a large amount of the spare parts they used to carry. They just carry the um, supplies for the 3D printer. And I saw a new smartphone that has 3D scanning capabilities and then you link it up and it um, with a little printer and it'll print for you so you can print perfect shoes at home. In China, as you probably also know, they um, have 3D printed complete six-storey office buildings and they're printing houses. They'll print a whole house in a day. And by 2027, which is only 10 years away, 35% of every single thing that's produced will be 3D printed. Now, that's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Entrepreneurs, this progress is really important. If you've got a niche you want to pursue, ask yourself, in the future, first of all, will we need it? Secondly, can it be 3D printed? And thirdly, I guess, can I make it faster so I can get it out there before all this change takes place? So, and essentially, if it doesn't work with your phone, forget it. Any idea designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to fail in the 21st century. A major opportunity is that uh, 70 to 80 percent of all jobs, 70 to 80 percent, will disappear within 20 years, all current jobs. But will there be enough new jobs taking their place? Well, Apple and Facebook and some of the tech companies are now reducing weekly hours down to 30 hours a week to enable them to employ 25% more people. So that might come norm across the board. And very soon there'll be a $100 agricultural robot which, an, which will enable farmers to become managers of their field instead of working in the field. Vertical farms will take one one-thousandth of the land that farming currently uses and it'll produce better crops and better crops without any fertilizer and at a fraction of the cost. Aeroponics will need much less water and as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, the first petri dish produced veal is now available and is going to be cheaper than animal produced veal in less than two years and people, no matter how expert they are, cannot differentiate the taste. You know, 30% of all agricultural land today is used for cows, but we won't need that land for farms anymore because insect protein is about to hit the market. And if uh, you're worried about your mood after the election, a new app called Moody's can already tell your mood. There are also apps that can tell if you're lying. Imagine the change in discourse that'll bring. Blockchain's going to disrupt banks, financial services, stock trading, real estate, and a host of other inefficient industries. Bitcoin or its, or its ilk will become mainstream. 
and might even become the default reserve currency. Now, this is a good one. The average lifespan is currently increasing by three months every year. So four years ago, the lifespan used to be 79 years. Now it's 80 years. The increase itself is increasing. And by 2036, there'll be more than one year increase in lifespan every year. So coupled with medical advances, lifespans be much longer. In fact, you can pretty much live. The estimates are that somebody who's now 30 can live to 120 or 130 the cheapest smartphones are already 10 bucks in Africa and Asia. By 2020, 70% of all humans, that's only three years' time, will own a smartphone, providing almost everyone with the same access to world-class education. Every child can use the Khan Academy for educating children in first world countries. This software will be released in every language and the English app will be free so the children in Africa and everywhere else can learn, become fluent in English within a year or so. God, this, um, the rate of change is just phenomenal. So make sure that um, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to take these things into account before you embark on the venture of a lifetime that's only going to last five minutes. Now, if I don't know whether you get my newsletter, which I send out every day, every single day, to 81,000 people. It's a three-minute, th- th- sorry, it's a 30-second read. You can read the whole thing in 30 seconds. And it's um, just what every entrepreneur or business executive needs to keep up to date. So, Get my uh, newsletter every day, 30 seconds. Go to the website, bobpritchard.com. Click on, on and up pops a, um, a box that says subscribe to the newsletter. But you can definitely read it in just 30 seconds. And it gives you something to talk to around a table. You sound like you're intelligent. Or you can talk about it over the water cooler or I don't know. Whatever you like. Now, for the first time in nearly a decade, Apple's launched a new sales program for the iPhone. It's known as the Apple Certified Refurbished Store. So you'll be able to pick up a refurbished iPhone 6S or an iPhone 6S Plus. And the iPhone joins Apple's many other products, including Macs, iPods, and other refurbished devices already on sale. The move is a big change for Apple, whose attention is focused on selling brand new devices. So while Apple is offering refurbished Macs for years, its online marketplaces only sold new iPhones. In fact, they haven't sold refurbished iPhones since the smartphones launch nearly 10 years ago. It's part of um, Apple's focus on being a leader in electronics recycling, and, uh, you know, they take a whole bunch of other green initiatives. They're investing heavily in recycling programs and the desire to get their old hardware back from customers. It then decides whether to refurbish the hardware and sell it again or break it down and mine its parts. Apple even has a sophisticated robot named 
Liam, why would you give a really smart robot an Irish name <laughs> that can systematically remove components in devices like the iPhone so they can be reused in other units? Now, there's probably a lot of you sitting there thinking, hmm, what's wrong with the hardware if it needs to be fixed? Well, many devices are just returned because customers didn't want it after they bought it. And uh, a lot of other refurbished um, devices have never been opened and they returned before the owner even tried them out. So customers are effectively getting a brand new headset, handset that Apple simply can't sell as new and you'll end up saving yourself about 100 bucks or about 20% on a new phone. Like brand new iPhones, the refurbished handset Apple is selling come with new batteries and outer shells and they also come with a one-year warranty. Um, my newsletter is getting a heap of subscribers every day. We get new people coming on every single day, and we only get the very occasional unsubscribe. So I think that justifies the quality of the newsletter. And you can read it in 30 seconds, don't forget. So go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll. My guest today is my good friend Mark Golston from the Golston Group. And uh, Mark helps companies and individuals think like Steve Jobs. He's very smart, Mark, and he's got fabulous clients right at the big end of town. Mark's been a people hacker for more than 30 years. He used to hack into the psych of hostage takers. So if, if um, there were hostages, he used to be called into. Um, hack into their site and negotiate so that they end up handing back the hostages, sticking their hands up and walking peacefully to the FBI and the police. And that's got to be a good thing. And I'll be back with Mark immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, 
this is the part of the show where we talk to successful and very often really extraordinary people, people that have enjoyed great success and are out there making a difference. I'm always amazed how many talented people there are in this world, and uh, interestingly, my guest today is also a fellow member of Metal, which is Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders, which are 1,600 of the smartest people on the planet, and uh, we meet every Saturday, and every Saturday I walk out of there just absolutely flabbergasted by the quality of people that... um, that belong. Last Saturday we had uh, the CEO of the Hyperloop project. We had um, uh, a lady who started a um, a health food bar company, and now it's three hundred million dollar industry. We had a fellow who's an expert on big data and analysis. It is just extraordinary. So um, I like to talk to them, and the aim when I'm talking to them is to find out. What are the characteristics that they have that makes them great? And how can each of us learn from what um, they've got to offer and from the mistakes that they might have made in the past? My friend Mark Goldston from the Goldston Group, as I mentioned, is a fellow metal member. Well, he helps companies and organisations create a I've got to have it response to their products and services and he does this by teaching founders and CEOs and innovators to think like Steve Jobs. Now that sounds like a big call and I'll talk to him about that but when you've got a when you create this I've got to have it attitude people immediately say I've got to have it therefore I'm going to buy it. So therefore you never have to sell people stuff because they want to buy it. You just sit there and make sure you've got a pen with plenty of ink in it and take orders on a personal level Mark's been a people hacker I love that term people hacker for more than 30 years originally hacking into the psyche of suicide patients to help them discover a reason and a desire to live now that sounds like a pretty tough chore then he hacked into the psyche of hostage takers so that they turn themselves peacefully over to the FBI and police. That all sounds, sounds like a pretty tough gig. And CEOs and founders with the logical extensions to that. And Mark helps them achieve, maximise their success and their effectiveness. Being an entrepreneur and a visionary is tough. And uh, we often need to reignite that visionary engine because sometimes it stalls when you're trying to run a company in an organisation, it just becomes so overwhelming. I must admit, my schedule is just frenetic. And sometimes you sit there and think, Jesus, I just can't cope, keep up, and all the change that's happening in the world, it gets bloody hard. So Mark works with um, high integrity, motivated, committed, and failure is not an option executives. And uh, to overcome obstacles to achieve their mission. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. Hi, Bob. I can hardly wait to find out what I say. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated. You're obviously very good at smooth-talking people. You must have been great on first dates when you picked up a girl in the bar. They were gone, right? You really had that licked. 
you know, you're you're a more recent uh, uh, example of that. I haven't had a first date for 37 years. Okay. <laughs> now, you started off as a clinical psychiatrist. Um, how did you transition to training FBI and police hostage negotiators? I mean, that's a you know that 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 seems to me like an extremely specialized field and one that has a lot of risks involved and a hell of a lot of stress well i started out as a suicide interventionist and helping people also uh find a different way than violence and so i dealt with uh, very disturbed and disturbing kinds of people and uh, what happened is uh are you I used to work with suicidal patients who were still suicidal when they were discharged from a hospital. So one of my first well, mentors they, actually... Why would they be discharged from a hospital if they're still suicidal? Well, because there's some people who are acutely suicidal, and there's some people who have kind of a suicidal personality, meaning it's, they're not going to act on it today or maybe this week, but there's a darkness to them, and what would happen is when they needed to, you can't keep them in forever, and you don't change someone's yeah. personality in a short hospitalization. So my first mentor, a fellow named Dr. Edward Schneiderman, he, he actually was a pioneer in the study and intervention with suicidal people, and he would go up to the inpatient wards at UCLA, and he'd do a consultation with these people who were still suicidal but needed to be discharged because, again, it wasn't acute, it was just part of them. And some of the residents didn't want to see these people as outpatients because they were still fairly scary. So he would go meet with them, and then he'd call me on the phone, and he would always say the same thing. And he would say, Mark, I'm with this handsome young man. Or, Mark, I'm with this lovely young woman. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them. See them. And then he put them on the phone, and I'd see them. And so early on in my career, you're only supposed to see one or two suicidal patients at a time. Early on in my career, about 25% of them were suicidal, right. and knock on wood, none of them killed themselves uh, after I saw them. And uh, my wife will tell you that for 10 years, I never got to the end of the movie we were watching because I'd be beeped or interrupted. Yeah. And so what happened, though, is I, I, I became very innovative because I felt, well, the usual approaches stabilized them but never got through to them, and so that gave me permission, as well as the confidence my mentor had in me, to actually listen more and more deeply into them. And when I did that, what happened is I crossed over into their world emotionally, meaning there were a few patients that I would see, and I would start to feel a dark, cold chill. And initially it startled me, and with one patient I thought, geez, I'm having a stroke or a seizure, and then I did a neurologic exam on myself because I'm a medical doctor, psychiatrist, and I realized that I was all there, and then I thought, I think I'm feeling and going and seeing the world through her eyes. Yeah. And when I felt it, I was kind of young and innovative and game to try something, and I kept leaning into it, and a friend of mine who I shared the story with, uh, who's the main uh, pastor at St. John the Divine in Manhattan, he said, you went into the dark night of the soul. And what happened, mm. i got to tell you, Bob, it was awful. It was chilling. It was cold. And I had this realization that, boy, if that was me, I would have killed myself a year ago. Yeah. Is and this, so is, I actually shared that with some patients because on one, one occasion I was sleep-deprived and I said that. 
And I thought, my God, I just gave her permission. At that point, she smiled at me, and she said, thank you for understanding. Thank you, yeah. thank you for feeling it with me. And then she gave up her suicidality after having made three attempts in the previous four years. Is that is that a different... Is that a different type of feeling than, you know, people who, not often, but I come across people from time to time who just say, you know, this is all too much for me. It's all changing too quickly. I can't cope. I, I always feel inadequate. I always feel like I'm under pressure. What's the use of being here? You know, that's a different type of thing than somebody who's dead set, um, Set on killing themselves. Well, right? well here's, here's the difference. There's a, there's a continuum in how you listen to people. At the poorest end, uh, you're not. You think you're listening, but you're not listening at all. You're presuming to know someone when you really don't. And then, and then, not much better than that is actually figuring someone out, uh, which makes them feel like you're treating them as an object. Mm. Uh, that's why a lot of entrepreneurs have troubled marriages because they're very good at figuring things out but that's often frustrating to their spouses who want you to not just understand how they feel but feel their feelings with them and so so uh, slightly better than figuring someone out is when you when they feel understood by you but what I've learned is when people feel felt by you they open up to you. So, for instance, if I was listening into you, Bob, uh, what I'm picking up is that it's very important for you to keep the people you interview kind of on track. So, good luck with me. And also that they're that they're continuing to give value to your listeners, and if possible exceeding your listeners' expectations of value. Because if you can bring on guests like that, who while your audience is consistently, it's going to elevate uh, the value of your show. Is any of that true? That's, that's all totally true. Oh, and so to a certain extent, I mean, I, I, you know, over a drink, I'll get into you even more deeply, but, um, but it, there's a way of listening into people that when you really get them, so I got you, you know, probably on slightly more than a pedestrian level right there and then, mm. but can you feel that if I got that accurately, You'd be more you'd be more willing to lean into the conversation to find out where it went. Yeah, you you would. I, I think I learned a long time ago that people um, most people listen to the words you're saying, but they don't actually hear what you're saying. They listen to the words, they understand the words, but they don't understand what you're saying. And I think that's you know we, we've, for the for the most intelligent species on the planet, supposedly, we are all absolutely appalling communicators, aren't we? Well, what, absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes, which I think you like, comes from a, a, a psychoanalyst of the last century, Wilfred Bion from Britain. And what he said is, the purest form of communication is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when you listen to someone with memory, you have an old personal agenda that you're trying to plug them into. And when you listen to them with desire, you have a future personal agenda that you're trying to plug them into. But in either case, are you listening to them? And so in my trainings and teaching, what I suggest to people is try to cultivate being a PAL. And PAL stands for P-A-L, Purposeful Agendaless Listening purposeful, agendaless listening. And the purpose is to listen in really, really deeply 
cause people to reveal their greatest hopes and dreams and their greatest uh, fears and uh, frustrations. And when you can listen into that, people just they just they dive into that conversation. Yeah. Because it's it, it, they they don't feel figured out or understood. They just feel really felt. How, how practical is that for? A business person or an entrepreneur. I mean, I, we're all under so much. We're all under so much pressure these days that, um, you know, when you go and meet somebody that you're trying to do business with, you're not trying to understand them. You're trying to sell them shit, right? And when you, um, um, with staff, um, you really don't have time. You know, I'm one of those people who believes the only way to change people is to change people. So. Staff, does a business person really have time to get into the depth of the soul and the beliefs of, of no, no, no? But, they, but but in certain select cases, uh, so it's interesting. Um, what I've discovered from entrepreneurs is they can't stand to listen deeply into people. They just want results. And in fact, if yeah, uh, uh, most decision makers hate people problems. And I've spoken to a number of entrepreneurs that say, when I was a manager, I had to deal with people issues. But now that I'm the leader and hope and supposedly the visionary, uh, when I get really clear on the vision and the strategy and the opportunity, I want to hear about people's stuff. And that's why I have someone in HR. That's why I have a COO. Because I, I and I'm not trying to be rude. It's just that I don't want to let go of the clarity. So I think one of the things that made Steve Jobs very difficult is he had incredible clarity about an opportunity and the clarity and the opportunity was he looked out into the world and he said, you know, computers are ugly, complicated, and unreliable. If I could, if I could design something that was beautiful, simple, and reliable, I think I would, I think I would own the world of technology. Yep. And so he didn't know how to build it, but he could recognize it when he saw it. That's when I kicked off the on-off switch on the iPad. And so I think what happened is when he was able to see things that clearly, he didn't want anything getting in the way of it. And, and it's interesting, since I've discovered, you know, I, I've been creating this talk called Gotta Have It, since I discovered the formula that he followed, I'm becoming less patient with people also because... I've, for myself, I've discovered an incredible opportunity that I want to seize, and the opportunity is helping entrepreneurs to create gotta have it in their customers and clients, and they're loving it. I'm getting between 4.8 and 5.0 out of 5 ratings from entrepreneurial groups, and I've never gotten that before. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you take somebody like Steve Jobs out of unbelievable clarity and great vision on on products and really understood on one one hand he understood what people wanted and what they'd buy and what they'd gravitate to um, and what would wow them on the other on the other side as a people person he was an asshole um it, you know and you you look at somebody like Elon Musk and and you know everybody has spouse problems I guess but Elon Musk says Elon Musk's wife says Elon's a unbelievable visionary and unbelievably clever and whatever but a lousy husband and even worse father so do, do that it is it possible to be both i mean is it possible to have such clarity of vision and clarity of mind that you can be um um 
a Steve Jobs well, it, and it, still it, be it, a reasonable a person? <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. A good friend of mine named Vern Harnish, and he started this international coaching organization called Gazelles, and he lives uh, over in Spain. And he said, he said, you know, there's a there's kind of a urban story, uh, urban legend, but it's probably true that uh, there's, a, there's a bar in Dublin, Ireland that's right in the heart of the uh, technology area, and, and he said, the happiest people in the bar are the ex-wives of entrepreneurs. And they're having a good old time with their girlfriends, <laughs> they've got money to burn, yeah, and he said, that's the reason. And, the most, and he said, the most miserable people in the, in the uh, bar are, uh, are the entrepreneurs who have just uh, you know, they've just got a trophy wife, and after eight months, they're bored. Yeah, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think that's. I yeah. think that's absolutely true. Um, where I live, um, near me, there's um, a place called Calabasas, which is full of people that are very rich. And uh, if you go up to Starbucks, I used to drop my son off to school, and uh, then go to Starbucks in Calabasas, and it's full of full of women about thirty to. 50 that are absolutely loaded with money with lovely cars having a wonderful time and um you know their husbands are out working a thousand hours a thousand hours a week with a 16 year old wife and are miserable <laughs> it's got oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but you ask an interesting question i spoke to a metal member and he came up to me and he said uh and i want to identify him he said you know i have an early stage company that is just taking off and i'm getting investors but I also have a fiancé who's pregnant. Now, we're going to get married, and my fiancé wants my attention. And, and the point is, uh, I can't give it to her because, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, getting traction with my company. And so my advice to him is I said, well, I said, think of the most difficult investor you have, but you need their money. But they are difficult. I mean, if you didn't need their money, you'd want to shoot them or shoot yourself. <laughs> but you're going to work around it because you need their money at this, yep. you know, for your company. And I said, you're going to find a way to work around their personality because you need their money and that is necessary for the future of your business, correct? And he said, yes. I said, well, if you keep doing what you're going to do with your wife and your yet unborn child, you're not even married, uh, if you keep doing that, that's going to screw up the future of your marriage. Now, that's okay, and if, if you don't mind being a statistics, but that's kind of sad given the fact that you haven't even had children and you have one in the oven already mm. and so I said I think an approach to take is look at your wife like your most difficult investor <laughs> you know, otherwise <laughs> uh, otherwise it's going to kill your future either way you know blow you know, uh, the investor would... you don't get the money uh, uh, keep annoying your wife in this way and blowing her off you don't get the marriage so it's up to you and you lose the money um, there you go yeah, so your book, uh, Just Listen, became the top book on listening in the world. And uh, I guess your background as a trainer of FBI and police hostage negotiators helps entrepreneurs to understand um, and get this clarity. But, you know, they're not very good listeners. And you talk about holding them hostage. Um, who's holding them hostage? What holds an entrepreneur hostage? Well... Sometimes the people issues hold them hostage because they don't want to deal with them and they're not big enough yet to get someone to intercede with some of their difficult people. But I think what also holds them hostage is, is not understanding the person 
they're talking upstream to. So one of the things that I have told a number of entrepreneurs who speak faster than I think, I, I said, here's what you have to keep in mind. When you uh, speak so quickly, you may be a quick and deep study, but what you're doing with investors is you're triggering flashbacks with people who are quick talking and just quick talking and who screwed these uh, investors. Yeah. And what you have to realize is these investors, every time they, they bought into something that didn't work out, they said to themselves, never again am I going to throw money down something uh, right. uh, that sounded so great. And so what I've told them is you need to learn how to deliberate more when they ask you a question. And I've coached them. I say, when someone asks you a question, even if you have the answer, discipline yourself to pause and maybe say, hmm, because that will cause the person who wants to know that their concern got into your consideration, that will cause them to feel that you actually considered it. Whereas if you're so quick and you're talking so fast, they may start to smile inside what they're saying to themselves unconsciously, another one, another quick talking know-it-all who's master of the universe you know, let someone else invest with this uh, uh, this person. I'm not going to do it. So can you see how listening in to people and understanding them at that level could be much more effective than just... Uh, because you wouldn't rush an investor where you need the money. Uh, that, all sounds, that all sounds very pragmatic. Um, I'm one of those people who believes that every decision we make is made emotionally. Um, you know, we we make the we make the decision emotionally. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a business decision. It can be um, a personal decision. It could be burying a grandmother. You know, it's about making an emotional making the decision, making it emotionally, and then you justify it pragmatically. Is your approach your your approach seems much more um, about understanding and getting a, a real clarification on who people are and what makes them work well also it's about it's exactly that it's uh, in fact one of the things that I, uh, I, I have a number of blogs uh, having to do with how do you get through to people how do you get through to busy people how do you get through to uh, decision makers and so I'll throw a couple things at you and they're practical but I think they're good ways to frame your communication Right. So I wrote a blog, uh, I think it was called B2B Ninja Training, it's on LinkedIn, and it's uh, how to get through to busy decision makers, and there's a little, uh, I'm big with formulas, I have the Steve Jobs formula, maybe we'll do that on another show, but the formula there is when you're dealing with a busy decision maker, be clear, be concise, be relevant, be gone, because when you're not clear, they go, oh, here we go again, if you're not concise, they're saying, yep. get to it already. Yep. If, if you're clear and concise, but it's not relevant, they think, you didn't do your homework. And yep. then, uh, and if they just linger, what happens is you start to avoid them because they're just sort of a pain. So, can you, so what I suggest in that blog is every time you're talking to a decision maker or you're talking upstream in, uh, to a, a manager or leader above you, Ask yourself, rate yourself after the conversation on a scale of 1 to 10, how clear, concise, relevant, and, uh, and gone was I from the other person's eyes. So I think if you learn to, 
discipline yourself to hold yourself accountable, uh, it's going to make you better. And then and say to yourself, what would I do to improve uh, the rating in their eyes? So in your mind, what you're trying to do is figure out how did I come off uh, with them. Uh, there's another blog uh, I wrote that I gave to the Institute of Management Consultants called How to Turn a Conversation into Getting Hired. And there's many things in that, and there's many things in all the trainings that I offer. But one of the things I mentioned there is uh, when someone asks you a question, let's say you're, you're a consultant, and say the person asks you a question after you've spoken, uh, when I spend the training, what do you do? And what the consultant says is, I try and give them an answer. And I said to them, uh, uh, the first time they ask you a question after you've spoken, never answer the question. Because what you're doing is you're, 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 you're at the pedestrian level of other consultants. Right. What you really want to do, is, and this is what I said in the uh, How to Turn a Conversation to Beginning Hired, is you want to be mindful, again, disciplining yourself, uh, when they use adjectives or adverbs. Because an adjective is a way of embellishing a noun, and an adverb is a way of embellishing a verb. And so even if they ask you a question like, so what do you think we should do, blah, 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 blah. If they previously said awful, terrific, if only, horrendous, uh, you can say, before I answer that question, say more about the horrendous. And what will happen is they will go deeper. And as they go deeper, they're more invested in the conversation. Can you, yep. can you see that and feel that yep. in your mind's eye? Yep, I get and then that. And you keep, you keep doing that. And then what you want to do is... They still, still might say, uh, you know, ask your question. And, and the final tip that I give in that blog is say to them, you know, I can answer your question, but I'd like to take our conversation to the ICU. And they're going to say, what? And I say, ICU stands for important, critical, and urgent. And I can tell you what I think was most important, critical, and urgent for our conversation, but rather than my guessing, what do you think was most important, critical, and urgent? And if we didn't cover it, especially the critical and urgent, what should we have covered? So can you see that you're, you're, you're helping people <clears throat> get stuff out when you go into their adverb or, uh, uh, or adjective. You're going deeper into them than another uh, consultant. And then after that, after you've given this great high colonic, you get them to focus and prioritize in terms of important, critical, and urgent, and can you see that that would be a much more potent conversation from their point of view than what they used to hear? Yeah, I see that. So, so what what role do you see emotion playing in in communication? I I, I believe that if you want to sell somebody something, you have to a transference of energy takes place, a transference from you to the person that you're trying to sell. And if you're effective in communication, communicating that emotion, then you'll get the sale. Are you, do you, well, you don't, well, you don't think, adhere to that well, I think philosophy? The, I think the more people... Uh, I go for high clients, so I go for the billionaires. Yep. And I can tell you, <clears throat> the billionaires are more thoughtful than emotional. Now, and so the point is, when you're kind of green and you're new and you're selling and you're selling to people who are at sort of a lower level, yeah, go with the emotion really what you want to do is you, you, you want to get them to reveal themselves. So the, another tip that I give is if you find that being persuasive with emotion isn't working, 
if you find that they're kind of smiling and nodding from the neck up, but you get a feeling that you're giving them the ewee-jeewees and they want to get away from you, one of the things that, I, again, that I suggest is uh, focus a little bit on them. And in those cases, we're getting emotional and being persuasive isn't working. I mean, if it's working, go for it. Be, be emotional. But if it's not working, if they're not voting with the, below the neck to buy from you, what you want to trigger is what I call SDU, and SDU stands for self-discovered urgency. So what can you talk about in the conversation that causes them to discover on their own an urgency to solve something that you're the solution to? Yeah. And, and, you, and you do this when you see that your emotion isn't working. As I said, if emotion works and it triggers emotion, that's fine, but that's really your lower rung of consumers. They're not all that discerning. And so okay. you, know, you flood them with emotion, you get them excited. But if you really want to go for big-ticket people, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're not impressed by the selling. In fact, the harder you sell, the more oh, desperate you I agree. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a seller like that. So... We're just about out of time, but what are the greatest challenges that entrepreneurs face, and how do you help them overcome it? Well, I think the greatest problem, and I see it over and over again, is is really not considering people issues. There's a, there's a saying, you hire people for what they know and do, but you fire them for who they are. And so a lot of times, entrepreneurs, in order to fill a slot, will bring in people who are horrendous in a number of ways. And by the way, a lot of entrepreneurs are conflict avoidant when it comes to anything emotional or personality issues. And so they avoid it. And what happens, it gets worse. You're going to have to replace that person because they didn't do the job. And so... Uh, and any time an entrepreneur fires someone, if you ask them their main regret, you know what it is, that I didn't do it sooner. And so I think what's really key is uh, don't get ahead of yourself and minimize uh, the importance of getting the right people on the bus doing the right things because it'll kill your company. I agree. Mark, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Mark Goldston, go to markgolston.com. That's M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. And uh, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you. 
Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week, broadcasting from Springfield. We're in about 15 minutes. I'm speaking to a full house of Arizona business leaders. Now, entrepreneurs at Fortune Magazine's Brainstorm Health Conference in San Diego on Wednesday showed off potential solutions to lowering medical costs and improving care, not only in the developed world, but worldwide. They demonstrated three groundbreaking devices, a mobile ultrasound machine, a handheld air sensor, and a patient identification necklace. Now, these technologies all shared some commonalities, including low-cost sensors, wireless connections, and the data stored in the cloud. The devices are intended to be low-cost enough that they can be available to patients not only in the developed world, but also in the developing world like China, India, Africa, etc., Firstly, the mobile handheld ultrasound machine has already been helping prevent problems for pregnant women in Morocco. 300,000 women die annually from avoidable pregnancy problems. 300,000, that's unbelievable. The mobile ultrasound provides examinations to hundreds of women in small rural Moroccan clinics and it reduced the cost of an ultrasound listen to this, reduced the cost of an ultrasound from 80 bucks per patient to $2 per patient. Now, that's an extraordinary difference. The uh, mobile air sensor collects information about air quality, including the kinds of particles, the quantity, and it, it identifies if hazardous chemicals are among those particles. The mobile air sensor is cheaper than sensors used by government agencies, for monitoring air quality in cities. And this device can be an important way to protect people from pollutants that can impact brain brain development and fetuses in children. Thirdly, millions of young children die annually from diseases that are preventable with vaccines. A wearable medical history necklace that uh, healthcare workers can read with a basic cell phone is going to change all that. The necklace uses low-power wireless technology that requires no battery and is durable and waterproof. So that's all great. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. Don't forget, only takes 30 seconds to read, so you can't just say, oh, I haven't got time to read a bloody newsletter, another one of these fucking things I get on my email. 30 seconds, it's over, and it's fabulous information. So remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, I'll be back in the studio on Hollywood Boulevard, and I hope you can join me again. 
in the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.